Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. And joining us today, we've got Dean Harris, who is the co-founder and CMO of Tab Brands. Welcome aboard The Green Peak, Dean. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Richard. So, Dean, um, you know, I, you and I chatted a few weeks ago, and interesting enough, you were you're one of your prior clients or roles uh, as CMO. You were a client of my analytics company uh, about 15 years ago. But you've been CMO in a, a number of very interesting and successful exits. What led you finally to Tab Brands and you know the cannabis space that you're in today? Sure. Well, I mean, I started really in the in what we call the plant-based wellness space. We actually started with with protein. We developed a product that could deliver plant-based protein more efficiently. And um, after looking around at the plant-based protein space, it seemed interesting, but the cannabis space seemed incredibly interesting especially since there was there were next to no emphasis on medicinal products branding marketing that was all an afterthought so i thought i could do some good and, and apply my background to uh to the space so you know dean after with your experience building brands tab brands itself you've got a you've got a brand strategy but you also have a product and how are you seeing the parallels between where you are today within the cannabis space and where what you experienced 20 and 25 years ago in technology? Sure. I mean, I think that that building a um, a visible, important, uh, and interesting brand is crucial, regardless of what kind of business you're in. Um, in the in one of the startups I did it was a BOIP company called Vonage. Mm-hmm. At that time, there were roughly 20,000 other BOIP providers, but because I think we had good positioning, good messaging, and, and consistent branding, we were known as the, as the, number, one, um, as the number one brand in, in BOIP. Uh, interestingly, uh, I think the same thing can be said for, for cannabis and cannabinoids in general, where there tends to be very little interest or emphasis on marketing and branding. So I think building a strong brand in in any category is essential. Well, let me let me ask you a question there because there's a lot of people talking about building brands within the cannabis space, mm-hmm. and they talk about you know their their brands occupying shelf space, but generally it's state by state. There's a few who are looking at you know brands across states, but of course then you've got different differences in uh, the variability in product because it's grown in different states and so on. So it's not standardized. How are you going to be different? Sure. Well, one of the one of the distinctions I have to make is, although our technology works with cannabis from the cannabis plant, mm-hmm. most part we are selling hemp derived cannabinoids, which have which don't have the same constraints and restrictions that um, that the cannabis that cannabis has, either from a domestic or an international standpoint. So the bulk of what we're doing is. Uh, is hemp derived, and then of course recently we've added, in addition to to plants, uh, in addition to protein, which we're still doing, we've added coffee, we've added um, we've added fungi, which are not considered plants actually, but through yep. the flutter technology to all of those categories, and there are far less restrictions there than they are with with cannabis from the cannabis plant. Right, and that's you know that's an important part part of your the project in Tab Brands is a, a company is you believe you have a better water soluble system. 
than yep. others have made available. What's differentiating it? Sure. Well, um, most water-soluble delivery systems use one of two methods. They use something called nanoparticle technology, where you grind the active ingredient into a very small size, or they use something called microemulsion, where the active ingredient binds to something in the liquid, typically a sugar. We are um, dramatically superior to both of those methods because we are truly water-soluble. For both microemulsion and nanoparticle technology, in effect, the um, the active ingredient is going into suspension in, in the liquid. So that's not really a water-soluble delivery system. So right. our our system, our, we have a, we've got two patent-pending processes. It really is water-soluble. And the advantages are it's dramatically more bioavailable, uh, i.e. it gets into the, into the body quicker. And then also when one looks at, at, at nano, um, which has been very popular in, in the cannabis space or the cannabinoid space, we think that, that not only does that, does that not deliver um, as effectively, but it's also potentially hazardous to both human health and the environment. And we think if we can provide a superior result without those potential hazards, we have an advantage. Yeah. And, you know, the holy grail for a lot of people is true water soluble, where there is no grit, there is no flavor, there is no uh, issues with separation. Yes. Um, the, ca the compound itself naturally is not water soluble. In fact, you know, that's one of the things with cannabis. It doesn't, it doesn't wash, it doesn't dissolve. So, how have you made it different? What are you doing to the compounds to make it possible? Sure. Um, I mean, in effect, we're we're encapsulating the the act, we're encapsulating the active ingredient, which makes it water soluble. We have a series of ours is a powder process, right. so a series of all natural food grade ingredients in powder form, which we add to um, powderized active ingredients, be they cannabis, cannabinoids, mushrooms, plant protein, et cetera. And our delivery system is is effervescent. So what that means is we're able to disperse the active ingredient quickly and evenly in any liquid. Um, there's no, no flavor, no taste, no residue. Um, and the effervescent quality is interesting because it works as a delivery mechanism, but it doesn't impact the final product. So for example, if you were to put our effervescent delivery system in in coffee, and we are working with coffee. You, you would not have carbonated coffee. You would have coffee that has the correct dose of of cannabinoids in that coffee. I mean, interestingly, we just completed a very very large coffee project right. where um, we're working. We can work with both ground coffee and uh, cold brew, and then we have a another method where we figured out how to put. Um, CBD coffee in K cups, so we can do same serve as well. All, all of that stuff sounds like it should be very easy, but it wasn't. I mean, it no, was none of it's easy. I know people have been chasing it for quite a while. Yeah. So I mean, so our so our objective and an objective we've achieved is we want to make sure that the that the dose that we promise is a dose that ends up in the brewed cup or in the glass. There are plenty of people that that have a Let's say a bag of CBD coffee that has. I, I saw one this morning from from the country of Colombia, and it had 125 grams of coffee and 800 milligrams of CBD. 
Now, I mean, if you break that down on a per serving basis, there's no way that this product is delivering 64, 63 or 64 milligrams of CBD in the brewed cup. I mean, A, that would be insane. It would be dangerous, but it's also not happening. So for us, the proof point is how much of the dose do we deliver in the in the final product in the brood cup? And we are we've been spot on so far. The reason we know that is we we third party test everything we do. So for promising delivery of ten milligrams, we want to make sure we deliver ten milligrams. Yeah, no, and it's and it's key for anybody who's trying to you know use any of the products for medicinal purposes. You need the right dose, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if it works, when it works, you want to make sure you can replicate the experience. Yeah, because you know, if you have too much or too little, it it's just not going to be providing the benefits that you require. Right. So, um, Dean, we do have to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment with Dean Harris with Tab Brands on the Green Peak. I'm Richard Zwicky. And we're back on the Green Peak with Dean Harris from Tab Brands and Dean, you know, before the break, we're talking about the the portioning and the uh, matter of delivering the required dose at each time. And you touched on something earlier where you said, you know, you're focusing on hemp derived uh, cannabis or cannabinoids right now. Uh, your process, though, will it work for all forms of cannabis after? Like, have you tested it against um, more of the um, cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids yeah. that are in the plant? Yes, we have. Um, we actually have been able to um, develop a hemp-derived THC product. Uh, and in terms of terpenes, we do have an additional product that is, um, that, that's powder, uh, that's a powdered terpene product that can, in effect, can be added to any cannabinoid to provide, a, in effect, an enhanced experience. So what we've done is we've been able to come up with a series of, of terpenes that in effect replicate the molecular structure of cannabis, but they but it doesn't include any cannabis or or actually any hemp at all. It's right. fruits and vegetables. And what that means is it can be used any place in the world. It it meets all requirements. And you're basically selling fruits and vegetables that have been consumed by humans way before any of the regulatory bodies existed. And um what's fascinating about this is I mean, terpenes are terpenes are terpenes. It pretty much doesn't matter where they come from. So if right. you, and one of the advantages is that terpenes, when added to cannabinoids, deliver the entourage effect. That's right. One of the fascinating things that we found about our product is one could add it to CBD isolate, where in theory there should be no no entourage effect. And it, well, yeah, isolate by itself is just the one compound. So right, but 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 our but the addition of our water-soluble terpene powder product to CBD isolate provides the entourage effect, which is fascinating. Yeah, if you you know, I mean, it's the entourage effect effect is effectively activators for the body, right? It's the um, it's the effect of the terpenes and the flavonoids that tell the body. It's almost like your taste buds. It where you taste things. It tells the body how to absorb or what to absorb. It's triggers. Have you tested which ones? Yes, we have. Um, each, are you plan going to? Yeah, we have. We we deliver essentially two feelings: a feeling of energy and a feeling of calm. Okay. 
And both both of those terpenoid combinations combine a series of of terpenes that one's got four, one's got five. I mean, I could quote them to you, but I'd probably mess up the pronunciation. That's okay. But um, they are they are the common ones, and uh, we found that that they enhance the experience of of cannabinoids, but also ex- enhance the experience of food. <laughs> so, for example, if you were to put them in alcohol, which right? On you, you can either get calmer or you can get more energetic. Sort of the two feelings people tend to get when they drink alcohol. Yeah, and uh, you know that's absolutely is an effect and depending on what you're doing and but you know that gets really interesting for the individuals who are trying to uh really address particular conditions because if you can tie the terpenes and flavonoids as activators for the the medical compounds or medicinal compounds in cannabis to certain conditions you're able to really deliver a targeted not just a dosage amount but a targeted uh, delivery system for particular conditions oh, and and, a, and in effect a plus effect so for example um we have a cbn product right cbn promotes sleep but cbn plus terpenes can promote sleep better and faster and it's a very inexpensive and portable kind of add-on i mean we're we're talking about very small quantities roughly a 10 milligram dose of terpenes that can enhance, um, you know, many, many other cannabinoids. So it, it, it's fascinating. And then of course, because of the, because of the nature of what it, where it's made, it's, it's exceptionally portable any place in the world. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not shipping cannabinoids, you're shipping fruits. You're shipping the terpenes and the flavors and it's completely different. So then you package it all up and you offer it, uh, via a lot of white label, right? Yeah, we we do have a we do have a consumer facing brand um, that's called Sigh S I G H, but I I must admit I know enough about marketing to know that that I don't have enough money to build a a really effective brand. I mean, back in the day, it's a tough spend. Yeah, I mean, back I mean I I know how to spend marketing dollars. It's fun to get invited to every event in the universe, but um, I know I don't have enough to be able to build my own brand so in effect right. we've been selling through other people's brands yeah and i mean there's there's a few companies which have been busy signing up uh brands for the purpose of distribution because they already have some shelf space and they're just using the they're leveraging the existing name to grow into other industries so some have been using other consumer products as a brand strategy so something that's known for you know and using a, a bad analogy but kleenex um and then marketing a kleenex related um Nasal spray, yeah, bad example, but same, right? So, I mean, we're we're essentially an ingredient, Mm -hmm. or we are a technology that people license and use um, in their in their country. We we have done two licensing deals: one in in South America and Colombia, and another in Europe and Croatia. So, this is a way that people can take advantage of our technology, apply it to to their products. Um, without having to go through the years and years and years of work and research. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a proven strategy, right? I mean, of course, the most successful or one of the most successful would be the whole Intel inside. Yeah. Or, where everybody looks for that as being key. Or, or, or it's sort of, or Coca-Cola. It's not yeah. a bit. No, not at all. Um, now, you mentioned also um, 
mushrooms and of course psilocybin yeah. and everything else falls into that. How are you looking at that space? Sure. Well, we, we do have um, medicinal mushroom products that are non-psychotropic, but we're, we're really intrigued by the notion of, of psilocybin. And um, we're actually working with a, a group. We have a really excellent team. The, the group that we have started um, and developed one of the first or perhaps the first psilocybin production facilities in your hometown in Vancouver Island. Yeah. Uh, psilocybin is particularly interesting because it does address a whole series of, of human conditions. Often it has to do with mental wellness. But every day one reads about at the application of psilocybin to things like addiction control or PTSD or depression, anxiety, et cetera. I mean, it really, it, it's had a, a huge play in the scientific community and, and our technology and our, our team, I think, could be uh, highly involved with that. What's interesting, though, is that in most places where psilocybin is legal, and there are not too many places, but in most places where it's legal, um, it has to be administered through the use of a, a, a paid guide. So in Oregon or, or um, Colorado, for example, one can get psilocybin, but, but uh, you have to go off premises and you have to have somebody who is, you know, a theoretically trained guide guide you through an experience in the use of, of psilocybin. Interestingly, um, that person is not necessarily medically trained. I'm being kind here. And also, uh, it's, it's expensive. I mean, it can cost, you know, anywhere between hundreds and, and a thousand dollars for a dose of psilocybin. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're, Using psilocybin in a microdose level, i.e., the psilocybin affects your brain but not your behavior, it seems a little bit crazy to uh, have somebody guide you through an experience where your behavior is not going to change. So our our goal well that would be crazy. And you know, I know in Oregon we had uh, you know Dr. Martha Wenger's lot name uh, on just recently. He's running also a CDC study on uh, MDMA and I think it's anxiety, but. He's uh, running a certification program for therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists with regards to the administration. But, but that, the but government that, there has been pushing that. But, but in other words, but the people that are yes, but the people that are that are acting as guides don't necessarily have medical or don't necessarily have medical training. You know, you somebody could could be in retail and then decide they want to be a guide and go through the government training program, and all of a sudden they're a guide. So I'm I'm not. Right. I'm not saying that's that's not a that's not noble. I just don't see how effective it is if your behavior is not going to be changed. So, so our goal is to is to create the first consumer facing psilocybin brand. Um, we're, we are working at a microdose level. Mm -hmm. we produce our we can produce our our uh, tablets, our capsules actually for three cents. So uh -huh. I mean, come on! I mean, three cents is slightly different than hundreds or thousands of dollars, even if you mark them up to a dollar. Um, oh, abs absolutely. Yeah. And we're, and what we're currently doing is we're currently, um, we need a workaround on where to produce these things and, and how to distribute it so that we don't, um, you know, we all don't go to prison. So our, our workaround is we're, we're going to be producing on indigenous lands and we have a tribe in the, um, in the Amazon in Colombia, called the Mamo, M-A-M-O, right. 
they have agreed to let us produce psilocybin on their lands, and then we can distribute through indigenous retail, in other words, retailers that, that exist on indigenous sovereign land. Right. And they, there is something called, there's a principle that's called tribe to tribe trade. That's We're, actually something which I think we want, I'd like to dive in quite a bit deeper, but we do need to take one more break and we'll come back on that. We'll okay. be back in a moment with Dean Harris on the Green Peak on Richard Zwicky. We're back on the Green Peak with Dean Harris from Tab Brands. And Dean, just before the break, you uh, touched on something which we did want to tackle, which is you're working with a, you know, in Canada, it's First Nations and other years, it's Indigenous, Natives. There's all sorts of different, depending on where you are, it's different terms, but effectively with the people who are, you know, the tribes, the nations who are here first, they have certain rights and abilities, um, which are, face different restrictions than, you know, others. And you found a way to start working with them, which is unique. Um, how is that, what are you doing and how is it going? Yeah, well, we're, um, we're our first target indigenous group who have agreed to work with us is a group in Colombia in the Amazon rainforest called the Mamo. And they've been using plants and fungi as part of their, their natural pharmacy for literally thousands of years. Yep. Um, but they've agreed to allow us to produce this product on indigenous lands and then distribute via indigenous retail and then distribute more broadly via a principle called tribe to tribe trade, which allows indigenous people or tribes to trade with one another without government interference. So what that means effectively is in, in Canada it would be from province to province in, in the United States it would mean from state to state, but it also means across international borders. And there are lots and lots and lots of indigenous people throughout the world that um, could A, benefit from, from these products, could benefit from selling these products, and could get into what is a, we think is going to be a really burgeoning field again, without any, any investment in, and without any investment, um, right? So in effect, they they will be our distribution vehicles. For, it, it, this is interesting because, in the United States and in the state of California, for example, right. there are 109 federally recognized uh, Native American tribes, and in California, interestingly. The um, the governor has a bill in front of him that is going in effect is going to decriminalize psilocybin. Right. So the prospect of being able to sell through 109 different indigenous tribes, and if somebody then gets caught with with psilocybin or arrested for psilocybin, nothing's going to happen to them because it's decriminalized. That's pretty attractive in a, in a state that has 40 million people and we're a country would be the fourth largest GDP in the world. So um, it, it's it's fascinating. Now, I mean, it's unfortunate that we have to come up with a workaround to get this this great medicine out to people, but um, that's the way it, it is for now. And, and ultimately, it appears as though the number of places in the world where psilocybin is either going to be legalized or decriminalized is, is increasing constantly. It is because it's, I mean, it's, you know, in one sense, it's much easier for governments and authorities to decriminalize and legalize it because they can understand the molecule. It's, it's simple, it's straightforward, and it's easy for 
them to start building the research against and instructions for how to use, whereas cannabis pr has presented all sorts of challenges. And of course it was demonized where some of the others weren't. And, you know, you touched on the point that a lot of the you know, tribes and nations down in the Amazon, um, have been using these medicines for thousands of years. And that's, it's incredibly true. They have medicines we've never even heard of sure. that deal with diseases that we have commonly that we just don't even realize and vice versa. And well, they, they use it for medicine. They use it for social purposes and they also use it for recreational purposes. There's no doubt, but they have thousands of years of experience. Um, and, and the fact that this is part of, of the culture of many indigenous people makes, I think it, e it even more interesting and makes it into a better story because these groups, as you know, have traditionally been marginalized from society. This is a way for them to get in on on what we think is going to be an exploding market and take advantage of it, take advantage of something that's in effect has been part of their culture for, you know, for centuries. Yeah. And, you know, it can be done in a way which, you know, doesn't take advantage of them, actually leaves each of the um, nations with control on, you know, effectively what's their own you know, we'd call it intellectual property, but it really is their their knowledge that's been borne down through generation to generation that they can benefit from in helping everybody else at the same time. And that's well, a think, marvelous think, position to be in. I think, the, I think the added value that we bring to this equation is we're we're presenting this this product in a in a more scientific way. So we have a you know we have strains that that are proven effective. We have accurate dosing we have testing we have we have a, a level of certainty that that doesn't exist with a lot of black market products i mean one mm -hmm. can psilocybin on for example in canada you, you know go to a first nations um first nations lands and you can buy psilocybin now but it, it's it's pretty unlikely that you you know what the strain is or you know how much you're actually using or you know where it comes from or you or you Chances are it hasn't been tested, so we can provide that level of certainty that that people demand in in packaged goods products and and widely distributed products, and and of course do it at a you know a very reasonable price. So that that sounds like a, a you know a decent value proposition to me. No, it is, and you know testing is a big thing. There's two uh, groups in Vancouver which have storefront dispensaries. Uh, two that I'm aware of. Uh, there may be a third one. I understand, but. Um, and they provide the testing for, you know, anything you bring in, but mm -hmm. any product that they sell, they'll back, uh, and you know, you can do testing on site, but they'll ha have the documentation as well, because it is key. You, you need to know what you're taking and too often, you know, there's unfortunately until there's true federal legalization stuff, isn't properly tested before it hits the market. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the United States now, for example, they're probably in excess of 10 million people that are that are microdosing psilocybin right and you know there are all sorts of psilocybin brands but i would sit i would suggest that very few of them know actually know what they're taking or where it comes from or how much it is even if there's any psilocybin in the product at all so um that you know that lack of certainty that that um in effect that that potential danger is something con that consumers shouldn't have to face um, yeah. well then, you know, know what you're getting. Exactly. I mean, consumers should be 
be comfortable buying products that are safe and should be able to trust that it's being handled properly. And unfortunately that doesn't happen and we, right. you know, continue problems. And then you have demonization of products because you have a bad actor, but you know, going back to what you're doing. So how will, you know, your organization, you've got, you're going to be moving products. You're going to be working with the various peoples to move it, let's say from Colombia to Brazil and Colombia to other countries to yes. bring to market. There's a whole ecosystem that has to be built in terms of the delivery as well. So people understand. What are they getting? How are they getting? What are going to be the benefits? How much of that are you building versus working with others to, uh, to build? Well, I mean, in theory, this is what a marketer should do. So one of the exciting things for me is I get to tell this story and I think it's an interesting story. And and I, I get to, in effect, I get to build the brand and build the product. Um, What's interesting, one of the interesting things about this product is that it's very light and very portable. I mean, we're talking about a capsule that's small. I mean, it's like a, a yeah. number, like a small Benadryl, just for example. So yeah. to ship a lot of these things from one place to another is not a big deal. It's just, you know, you could ship 10,000 capsules in a, in a box that probably weighs a couple of kilos. So that should be easy. And, um, again, there's, there's a, ton of existing indigenous retail. Right. So look at the the 574 federally recognized uh, Native American tribes in the United States. Each of them has has retail on on their, you know, on their indigenous lands. And it could range from, you know, a convenience store to a gas station to a resort casino hotel. So right. you so that you've got literally tens of thousands of points of distribution. That could be activated immediately, and I, I think that's a that's kind of a cool way of looking at it. Um, and of course, it would have the the brand. The brands could either be um, oriented to for for the local tribe, or there could be kind of a generic um, indigenous brand that we could sell to everybody. Kind of depends on what people want. But right. changing the brand and changing the packaging is you know is relatively easy. Um, the benefits are going to be the same and the benefits are going to be, are going to be apparent. And I mean, that's also another interesting story because in the, in the cannabinoid space and in the psychedelic space, we really can't even talk about benefits legally. No, it's very challenging, right? Because, and that's, it's a horrific problem because patients who are looking for relief need to know what to take because it's not just you know, this product, it's actually sub products within it that are the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, at least for us, for me as a marketer, it's been very challenging because the way I've been trained, which is to focus on a few benefits and then talk to those benefits, support those benefits is something that we can't do here. So I think we have to do it with, you know, using more creative terms, do it, doing it with, with narratives, with stories, with, with things that are not officially direct to consumer advertising, which is how, you know, I kind of made my bones and in, in, in a past life, but, um, we have to be, we, we have to be much more narrative here about the way we do it. We do. And, you know, it's, and it's telling a story because also the specific claims can't be made the same as would be with other things where you have a federally regulated marketplace. Right. So brings forward. 
all sorts of challenges. Unfortunately, Dean, we are out of time for today, but this has been a really interesting conversation. I'd love to have you on again uh, in a few months. Great. Um, for people who want to learn more about what you're doing, Tab Brands, and you know the products and how they can participate, get involved, or find them, where do they learn more? Sure. Uh, tabbrands.com. T-A-B-B-R-A-N-D-S.com is probably the best place. Perfect. And we we tend to be very responsive. So feel free to to ask us questions or send us messages, and we'd be happy to continue the conversation. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us on The Green Peak today, Dean. And uh, like I said, I hope to have you on again in a few months. Great, great. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it.